We started talking last week uh, about this idea in the face of a world that moves so fast of the need sometimes to slow down, particularly looking at Psalm chapter 40 of the need to be still and to know that he is God. So we're going to pick up with that idea today. But we're going to look at a passage in the gospel according to Mark. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to, to grab them. We're going to be in Mark chapter 1. Uh, if you don't, we have some tucked under the seats there. They're the black books, the burgundy ones are the hymnal, but the black books are the Bible. And we're going to throw it up on the screen as well as we kind of go through s- some of these verses in Mark chapter 1. We'll jump in about verse 28. Um, we're going to look at this picture in the life of Jesus. Mark's gospel is an interesting gospel uh, because it, it's kind of fast-paced. You, as you're reading through the account that, that Mark has of Jesus' life, it's like one thing after another. It's go, 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 go. There's this word that shows up several times, the word immediately. In fact, it shows up in several of the Gospels. Um, I remember Dr. Cook, my, one of our professors in New Testament or in Greek, was talking about, I forget which verse, but he talked about this idea where Jesus got in the boat with his disciples and it said immediately they were on shore. And he said, here's what you need to learn. When Jesus is in your boat, you have arrived. I thought, I like that. I like that. But immediately shows up a lot in in Mark's gospel. We we sense this this momentum, this movement, this this urgency almost of Jesus' ministry. And we're going to see here in this section, beginning in verse 28, a little bit of of that kind of a sense of it. In verse 28, um, Mark records this. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Now, you'll see why as we kind of go through it, if you were to back up some of the things that he's done. As soon as they left the synagogue, it says, they, meaning Jesus with his disciples, went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went up to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. So, pretty remarkable thing here, just to start out this this picture and this moment in the life of Jesus. Jesus had kind of a busy day. So far that day, he'd been doing some things going on. Now he's kind of coming toward the end of the day, and they go to this house, to uh, Peter's mother-in-law's house. Peter's mother-in-law. If Peter has a mother-in-law, what does he have? Interesting note there. We'll just leave that alone. Yeah, definitely leave that alone. Um, Peter was the first pope. That's what we're going to, so put that together. Nothing bad about mother-in-laws. Mother-in-laws are wonderful. Is she here? (laughs) Yes, I see that hand. Mothers-in-laws are awesome. Just want to make that clear. Where were we? Oh, yes. Um, And so he goes to the house, and and it's interesting to to read what's happening here, that that he walks in, Simon's mother-in-law is in bed with a fever. Now, um, if it was a man who had a fever, we know that knocks us out, right, fellas? A man cold. Ladies, can I get a witness? <laughs> Men sick. We're pathetic, aren't we? We have a boo-boo. We're useless? Or is that just a stereotype? It's, it's a rowdy crowd today, yeah. Good to know. But if... The wife is in bed because she's sick. She's really sick. I mean, this isn't just kind of, she doesn't feel bad. She's, she's feeling really bad. And notice that, that there's just kind of these three quick statements. He goes in, he takes her hand, he helps her up. She's better. 
Fever leaves her, and she begins to wait on them. Just boom, boom, boom. You, you sense in that, that that there is this no big deal about it in the way Mark presents it, in the way it's just those three verbs, one after the other. But you also sense the, the, the reality that this was, well, something for Jesus that was also miraculous. We don't want to skip over that, that he miraculously heals in this instance. Uh, let, let me, as, I, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking about when I was a kid, uh, at the time we were in Central Florida, and there was a really huge ministry in Orlando that had Friday morning healing services. I could say the name of the fella, and most of you would probably know him and his white suits. But nonetheless, um, my mom loved, 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 this guy, watching him on television, and one Friday morning, she decided, because I was out of school, we were going to the Friday morning 10 a.m. healing service. That was scary. I'm telling you, it was intense. The music, you know, like in normal kind of church service, and there were a lot of people for Friday morning at 10 a.m., I didn't know that many people would go to church on Friday morning at 10 a.m., but they did. They came in, filled the place, they were singing, and then he comes out. And he starts singing, and then he stops, and then let the healing begin. People would come up, he would pray for them. People were, if you've been in services like this, people fall out, they catch them. That must be an interesting job. We need catchers at our church. They needed catchers. Just kind of, they, they fall out, there you go, and they would catch. It, it, it's remarkable, and it is, okay, so I'm, I'm, Fine line here, okay? Can God miraculously, amazingly heal? Yes. Absolutely. Can, does. Can mankind sometimes turn it into a show? You see Jesus here. Is there a show? It's pretty simple. Pretty basic. Pretty, like, in fact, we'll see a little bit more in a minute how that unfolds in the town around him. But, but there's this contrast I see sometimes between the ministry of Jesus, the miracle-working, life-changing presence power of Jesus, and sometimes what we want to work it up to be. Maybe it's because we live in a, an entertainment-driven culture, an experiential culture. We want to have that sort of moment where everything kind of works right. Jesus just sort of is who he is and does what he does, and it's there, and we just have to kind of deal with it. But that's how he begins this passage, that's what we see beginning this section. He goes into the house, there's a need, he meets it, mother-in-law gets up and starts, he starts serving them. Now, now here's where kind of the meat of the thing, where we really want to spend most of our time today. Verse 32, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. Now, why would we do that? Verse 28, that's why I started at verse 28. If, like your most Bibles, they kind of de- break them into sections and all, all the time put, like, uh, headings on them, and you said, well, why did you start at the last verse of the previous section? Like, the NIV, I know, breaks it at verse 29. Anybody have it broken at verse 29? You're like, what's wrong with that fellow? Can't he, doesn't he not have a real Bible? I do. Did that on purpose, because I wanted you to see that that verse 28 said the news spread. Jesus had... Even in Mark 1, first chapter of the story of his life, the news is spreading about Jesus. People know he is a miracle worker. In fact, we, we see him doing things even previous. It says they were bringing their sick and the demon possessed because just above, guess what? Jesus drives out an evil spirit. And we just saw the, the part in the first part of these, this section where he heals his mother-in-law. And so word spreads. Now, it says interesting, 
that evening after sunset. I want you to notice that for two reasons. Number one, that's significant because if you back up to verse 21, one of the reasons it takes until after sunset for the people to show up isn't because it took that long for the word to get around, but no, verse 21 tells us this is happening on the Sabbath. And in in the Jewish mindset, Sabbath goes from sunset to sunset. And so when sunset happens, the Sabbath is over, and so people can start moving around. They can start doing things, now. they can start working, and that would be why they waited till this. But it also tells us we're kind of later in the day. Jesus has had a full day. In verse 21, we're seeing him at... uh, at the synagogue, he goes there and teaches, and then they're amazed, and all these things happen. The, the, the demon possession is done, and then he's there at his mother-in-law's house, and he's had dinner, and I don't know about you, but if you've had a busy day, you went to church early, you went home, you know, you maybe had some chores to do. I don't know if anybody has, like, demon possession on your, or demon, casting out demons on your list of to-do things today, but it might feel like it, like if you've ever gone to Publix on a holiday weekend in the Keys... You want to cast out some demons, right? And, you know, you just had busy, you finally get out, you've had dinner, you've, if you're like us, Sunday lunch is like a big deal, we kind of go, it's kind of maybe the, the hardest meal of the week to cook, anyone else? You know, we kind of do something a little fancier? Nobody? Oh, see, you're more spiritual than me. That's embarrassing, no. <laughs> Really? Nobody, is that like Sunday lunch? Not a big deal? Somebody just lie even and raise your hand. <laughs> Leave me hanging out here. I just told you to lie in church. Oh, I feel like I shouldn't have done that. Anyway, so you know, like Sunday lunch, you've had the big lunch, you, you've done this, and it's been a long week, and Monday's coming. So what do you want to do at sunset on Sunday night during football season? Go see the, it's after sunset, already happened. You're home, you're in your pajamas, right? You got the reclining mechanism out. You got the remote control thumb exercising, right? And what happens? Somebody comes knocking on your door. Are you happy to see them? Okay, good. Happy to hear that. At the end of this day, at the end of all that's happened, People come to the house because they had heard that this was happening, that this man was here, and they brought to Jesus all. How many is all? All is all the sick and demon-possessed. Notice verse 33. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. So they're in the house, they've had their meal, Sabbath is over, moving toward evening. The whole town shows up. What does that look like? That's a lot of people. Capernaum's not a small town, it's a pretty good sized area. There's a lot of people around. And we're in the Keys, we're not a huge town, but could you imagine if everybody in the Keys who had anybody who was sick or had a need decided to come and camp outside your door today, tonight? after sunset that would be a lot of people that would be an overwhelming amount of people we might say that's a big crowd and that's what's happening here jesus his reputation already is spreading the whole town is gathering i can picture it how many of you have, maybe some of you can relate to this let me put it this way um, have, if you've been on like a medical mission trip and you go to another country where 
the access to medical care might not be as readily available. When these mission teams go into these towns, Denise and uh, Caroline went several years ago. They went to Ecuador um, in the Quito area, and they, they would go into a town. They were primarily dealing with um, vision. That was one of the main things they did, and a few minor other things. Not a lot, not a huge, like everything, every sickness available, but a very narrow window of this is what we're here to do. And they would pull up to the site in the bus in the morning, and people would already be lined up, waiting. And at the end of the day, they had to physically say, we're sorry, it's late, our day is up, we can't see everybody. And they would try to leave a few things, glasses and the like, with the representatives in the town they were contacting. But it was this overwhelming sense of need that they saw, even just for that very narrow, um, that very narrow mission of, of glasses and, and vision care. How much more if we just expanded that to everybody who's got any kind of anything? And that's the, the need that's at the door of Jesus. I'm going to guess Jesus got tired. He healed many who had various diseases. Now, I know a minute ago we see him interacting with uh, Peter's mother-in-law, and it's just three simple things. He went in, he took her hand, and she was better. And that seems simple. It seems like nothing. And, and in the sense of who God is, there, that is nothing. There are times in Scripture where it says, where they say to Jesus, I think it's the centurion, says, say the word. Just say the word and, and, and they'll be healed. And there's this other time where we see Jesus walking through a crowd and a woman reaches out and touches him. And he knows that the woman touches him, right? And what does he say? I think it's in, in Luke, the account. He says, who touched me? I felt power go out from me. Like he, he knew it happened. He knew that some in, someone in that crowd sought him out for healing, grabbed onto the hem of his garment, was healed from that, that sickness, that disease, and he knew it. Because, and I, I think about that. I think about, yes, do we as believers need to and want to and focus on the fact that Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity, the Word that became flesh, God that became incarnate. Absolutely. In fact, in, in a few weeks when we start our world religions class, that's going to be the, the drum I'm going to beat over and over and over again. If we want to talk about the difference between the Christian faith and most other world religions, it really boils down to what do they do with Jesus? Who do they say Jesus is? And time after time after time, people want to make Jesus less than. God, less than divine. There's some little caveat in their theology that pulls him down a notch. And so we need to defend that. We need to understand that. We need to to talk about that and preach that and, and the like. But we also can't forget that Jesus was very much human. And at the emphasis of his divinity, we can forget his humanity. We can forget that after a day like he had had, and after the needs that were pressing in upon him, and after the healings that he had performed, he might get, dare I say, a little bit tired out. He might want to put on his bathrobe or his pajamas and put his feet up and relax for a minute as the needs pressed in. But he didn't get that possibility. He didn't get that privilege. Here, he, the, the need is, is absolutely 
in his face and he can't get away from it. It goes on in the second part of verse 34. And not only did he heal various diseases, he also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. I think that's fascinating that at this early point in his ministry, Jesus kind of not only had the authority to speak to the demons and to cast them out of the demon-possessed, but once they were out, he could tell them, you just hush it. Zip it, Skippy. I don't know if that's like the biblical Hebrew phrase, but it could have been. You know, like don't, he just didn't want that to get out. He didn't, it wasn't, it's almost like it's not time yet. It's not time for that, that news to get out. And he, and he hushes them. What we see is his great authority over everything. You know, I was reading uh, something um, this week, and it talked about that word authority, and it's, it, it found the word author in it. I don't know if this is like a, one of those uh, etymological things. It may or may not be, but I thought it was interesting, the point they made that in authority is the word author, and the author of history steps into history in the person of Jesus. And what happens when the author steps into a story? You know, he gets to, he gets to write it. He gets to, to make the rules. He gets to decide who and where and what. And we see that in this passage. We see that in all of the Gospels, that the author of history is in history, and he has absolute authority over everything. He has authority, in this case, over the demons, over the spirit world. We see that he's already healed on the Sabbath, which he gets in trouble for a time or two in his ministry. Not as much a big deal here, maybe, but he, he's done this on the Sabbath, so he has authority even over the law. He exercises that authority. Um, we see he has authority over, over the people there, these disciples who follow him. All this, this idea that Jesus, as the author of history, steps into history and, and he runs the show. And everything must listen to him. And so at the end of that exhausting day, what do you think Jesus might need? A little bit of rest, Yeah. What do you like to do when you're tuckered out? Do we have any, give me a pint of Ben and Jerry's and a football game here? Because amen. Wh- which pint? Maybe we can compare notes after the, after the, uh, after the service. You know, I mean, that's good. What do you like to do? And most of the time we're moving toward rest. It started after sunset. He's been going all day and he's going into the night. Finally, we might say, okay, look, here's another one of those, those breaks in the text, okay, we get a pause. But what does the next verse tell us? Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. Okay, so we're not given, like, time markers. But I'm going to assume that if after sunset the action begins and lasts for a while and the next day starts before sunrise because it's still dark, the actual time frame for taking a nap, for sleeping, is pretty narrow, yeah? Pretty narrow. You ever had nights like that? Like you get in really late, but you have to get up really early? Like every day. Maybe for some. But you're like, on, on those occasions, maybe you, you go out for a concert like we did a few months ago and went up to, where do you go? Way up there. And what's that place by Saw, Sawgrass Mills? That's it, BB&T. And so that's an hour and a half drive and you got to come home late. And 
we did it on a Saturday, and you lot showed up Sunday, so <laughs> had to be here, you know. Or, you know, you get that, and, and, and you, you feel that. And a lot of times, the reason you have to get up is because you got stuff to do, right? I mean, most people, if they're out late, don't say, you know, tomorrow morning, I've got an easy day. I think I'll get up before the sun comes up, right? I mean, some of us just wake up naturally early. I get that. Morning people. I'm one of them, yes. Do we have any morning people here? Okay, let's see. Do we have any night people? Like, you'd rather stay up late. We'll pray for you. No, actually, we pray for you because we morning people really annoy you. Don't we? Okay, here's the fun. How many of you are morning people married to a night person? Oh, yeah. Excellent. How many of you are night people married to morning people? We should just have an open mic here and just have some fun. So you get that. Um, I don't know what that has to do with this other than Jesus is up early. But notice what he does. Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Remarkable to me to see that. It's not the only place we see that in Scripture. We would expect Jesus to pray. And I think sometimes we would expect that because we equate prayer with kind of like church world or spirituality or whatever word we want to use. So we know that, like if the Bible's telling us a story of how we should be really good and spiritual, it's going to tell us we should pray. And we look at it that way sometimes. We don't think maybe and articulate the way I just did, but somewhere back there can creep in that idea that that's what is here. But I don't want you to see that this way. If I was going to say, okay, here's my sermon in a sentence, it would be something like this. If Jesus needed to pray, how much more do I need to pray? If Jesus needed to get alone with God, Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior, the Messiah, the second person of the Trinity, and all that, that He is, if Jesus needed that, how much more do I need that? It's interesting that here, in, into this episode of His life, where the ministry demands on Him are overwhelming, when his to-do list was more than he could physically handle, more than the hours in the day would allow him to get to, he still got up early while it was still dark, went off to a solitary place, and prayed. I think sometimes... This is me. Maybe it's you. I don't know. I'm telling you where, where I am at times. I feel overwhelmed by the demands, by the to-do list. Like I have a notebook that I write stuff on, and, you know, like here's the stuff. And here's what I found. If I write it down, I can ignore it better, but still feel like I did something because I wrote it down, right? That's just a little tip today. You might want to write that down. And the reason I ignore it is because I look at it and I go, oh, how am I ever going to get to all that? 
you know that feeling. Because if your life is like most of our lives, not only do you have the to-do list, the stuff that you have to do, and most of that stuff I write down because in the moment by moment of the day, the stuff that's just coming at you left and right, the demands that are in your face, the tyranny of the urgent, as the, the pamphlet I read years ago described it, as we talked about last year, in this age of interruption, it's easy to forget that because that phone is going to ring or that person is going to come in or the boss is going to send you that memo or that email or whatever it is that comes to your attention that says right now you have to do this so I write them down so I can know that in those few moments I might find when something isn't right in front of me I can get to them in those moments I think when I get up early and I do this from time to time I'll just sneak over to the office and get some things done because it's early and there's nobody there and it's you know early enough that nobody's going to come into the office when I'm over there. And I think maybe that's where I read this and I go, perhaps that's not the best use of those early morning hours. I think it was Martin Luther who said, I have so much work to do today but the only way I can possibly complete it all is to spend the first three hours of my day in prayer. Be like, dude, time management. (laughs) Three hours is a long time. Really? I mean, three hours, that's pretty spiritual. Could could, could we do two? But but you, you, you hear in that the reality that he felt And we see in this account the reality of Jesus' life. I would imagine, and this isn't in Scripture, this is me just wondering if this isn't human nature, that at some point that previous day, after he had healed all, it says all came, but he healed many. So we've got kind of a contrast. It seems like at that point that there is more to do some point they called it a night i don't know who gets to make that call but that's the impression i get in fact we'll see a little later why i also think that's the case i wonder if when he left even though it was very early if he didn't have to step over a few people to get out of the house because knowing people as i do if they're i mean what do they do in our world there's a new movie coming out and they'll line up to see star wars or marvel or whatever it is you know i mean you see that they'll camp out the new iphone's coming out what would life be without the new iphone or whatever it is we camp out how much more would you camp out if it was in your mind health or disease i might want to get up early i might want to beat the crowd i might want to be there the need continues to press in and it might have been Jesus walking outside and if he had to step over people, again, I don't know if this is the case, I'm just kind of reading into what may have been the case, it would have been easy for them to try to get his attention, for them to try to stop him on the way. It might have made sense to say, wow, this is a really big need. I might better stop now and attend to this disease or this possession or whatever it is. But Jesus wasn't deterred. I don't know how he, well, Actually, there's times in Scripture where they're about to close in on him and he's gone because, you know, he's Jesus, but that's okay. He, He gets by, he gets off to a lonely place and prays. Next verse is kind of fascinating to me too. Simon, his companions, went to look for him. So at some point, a little bit later, Simon wakes up 
hey, have you seen Jesus? Maybe he looks out the window with his cup of coffee and drops the cup because there's a line already. What am I going to do? And he, Hey, where's Jesus? We got people. Come on, we got people. Let's go. Where's Jesus? And he gets his companions. Nobody knows where Jesus is. They go hunt him up. And when they found him, it says they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. It's almost like there's this undercurrent of don't you really care about these people or maybe hey look we're doing well jesus come on back the crowds are gathering this is a little personal for we preacher types because you see when you i would say when you're young but it's probably when you're whenever whatever age you are you think wouldn't it be awesome so i had a professor in seminary that told me when he was in school, they told him that only 1% of pastors will ever preach to 1,000 people at a time. And all us little seminary people thought, oh, that's going to be me. I want to be that. I want to be the one that there's thousands of people. Or maybe they can't fit in the one room, so they're, they're by satellite or they're by uh, satellite. Who uses satellites anymore? <laughs> we do the interwebs, right? The internet link up, the, the remote location and the like. Or, or I, I want to think, how many people are downloading my podcast? Ooh, I want people to be reading my books. Haven't written any yet. <laughs> but I want them to read them. That's church world, preacher world. Doesn't have to be that. How many of you ever looked? I wonder how many likes that last post got on social media. Hmm how many friends I have or how many followers I have or whatever the other terms are that we evaluate our standing with. I wonder if there's a little bit of that in the disciples that are like, look, the, the crowds are here. The momentum is real, Jesus. This is the time. We're going to be somebody. I can't help but think the followers of Jesus didn't latch onto him in some way because they were hoping, as all of Israel was in that day, that the Messiah would come and liberate them from those nasty Romans who had them under oppression and would set Israel right as its rightful place under God and as, as its independent state and all of the things that they hoped for. There was that hope in them, and, and they were hoping this Jesus, this rabbi, this leader would be the one that would do that. And, and as they see the people coming, as they've seen the miracles happen, as they know the authority in this man, as they heard him teach and said, even in his teaching, it's as one with authority. They thought he might be it. So let's strike. Let's keep this momentum going. And then Jesus says the oddest thing. Hey, the crowds are here, so let's go somewhere else. To the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. It's like Jesus had this opportunity to be the mega church pastor. Pernium's a pretty good-sized city. The surrounding village is a little bit smaller. Instead of, like, going to, oh, let's just pick the First Baptist of Dallas. That's sort of a good Southern Baptist city. Big historic church there. Leaders, pastors that you would know in its history. Instead of going to there, he decided to go to, you know, Fourth Baptist Church in Wachula or something. I don't know. Let's go there. In fact, I had a, uh, a pastor tell me, or it might have been even a, a professor at one point tell me, you know, in all my years of ministry, I've never seen a pastor leave one church to go to a smaller one. 
it's always usually to a bigger one. You know, it's a career move. Young, maybe as we move toward retirement and we've kind of have a different view of, of ministry, but, but I think that's interesting. You would think, why would Jesus do that? He, he just says, let's go somewhere else because he had a, a mission in mind. He knew why he came. In fact, he says, that's why I've come so I can preach there also. I think that the, the idea there may be that having been in Capernaum and his, the news about him having spread, people were looking to him as the miracle worker to get that particular need of the moment met. And he, as he says here, let's go so I can preach there. He had a message to proclaim. He had a different agenda. Maybe that's why he wouldn't let the, those who were freed of demons, he wouldn't let the demons kind of talk about him because he had a different agenda in mind. And where does all that come from? Why can Jesus in this verse seem to take the action that would be the opposite of what most of us might take in a moment of success, in a moment of, of, of a crowd that's gathering. I think it goes back to verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. The disciples watched Jesus' ministry not just here, but as they spent those years with him. And we have them asking him very particularly in one instance, Lord, teach us to do something. And if you've been around church or read scripture a lot, you probably know the answer, what goes in that blank. But if you were to ask people that maybe didn't have the same background as as you do, and say, what do you think that his disciples, having watched Jesus do, they might come to him and say, Jesus, we really want you to teach us to do this. I'm, I would imagine some people say, well, they would want Jesus to teach him how to preach, because he preached as one who had authority, which was different in that day and time. Maybe so, yeah, that would be pretty important. They might ask Jesus, even as we saw here in Mark 1, Jesus, teach us how to heal people. Give us that skill set. I mean, that's pretty impressive that when you heal somebody, that they have a disease and then they don't, or they're blind and now they see, or they're deaf and now they hear, whatever the, the circumstance was, that would be something that would be what we would want to know how to do. Or maybe even Jesus teaches how to cast out demons. Now, he tried that a little bit later, and they had a little issue with that. But the one thing that we hear them say to Jesus is, Lord, teach us to pray. I wonder, I think, the reason they asked that question is because those who were close up and personal with him, who watched his ministry, who watched how he did, who watched what he did, who watched the power with which he did it, the authority with which he did it, sort of surmised that there was a connection between the prayer life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. And so when they thought, let's get the secret, let's get the one thing, what is the thing we want him to teach us so that we can keep doing this that we will one day be entrusted with, that they've done well, because a couple thousand years later, here he is. They thought what we need to figure out, what we need to learn from him, is we need him to teach us to pray.
I need to be taught how to pray. And maybe not the mechanics of it, but the priority of it. Because the world we live in, as we've said for the last couple of weeks, is so fast-paced, is so demanding of our time and attention and of our energy. Often, the first thing we put aside is prayer. The first thing we kind of make do without because of the other demands is prayer. What do I mean by prayer? Let me fill that in a little bit. I don't mean just kind of an a intercession type of, type of thing where I go to Jesus and say, I have a list of needs, things in my life, things that are going on in the life of those closest to me, things that other people have asked me to pray for, and Jesus, I just need you to listen to my list of needs to get to you so I can have you work in the areas I need you to work. That's not what I mean by prayer. That's a part of prayer. We have that privilege as believers in Jesus Christ to go to him and say, God, I need your help in fill in the blank. And he listens. He inclines his ear toward us. He acts and responds to the prayers of his people. But that isn't all that there is of prayer. Prayer is time spent in intimacy with God. Prayer is, well, just that, spending time where your soul focus and your attention is on God. How many of you here are married? Okay, good. How many of you, let's say you were to go out of town, fellas, just talking to you now. You had to go out of town, business trip or whatever reason. You were going to be gone for like three weeks traveling. And you were coming home. How many of you, there's really only one right answer, by the way. The first thing you would do when you got home is hug and kiss your wife. Well, that's fewer people than said they were. No, I'm just kidding. Right, you would do that. And what if she asked you, oh, that's so sweet. Why did you do that? And you were to say, well, honey, I have this book. And on page 76 of the husband's manual, it says, upon returning from a trip of two weeks or more, before placing my luggage down on the ground, I am to embrace and kiss my wife. So I did. Wouldn't that just be like, oh. <laughs> Ladies, wouldn't that warm your heart? Wouldn't you be so excited that he followed the rules of being a good husband? Really? Not not even one of you? It would be a little cold, wouldn't it? Be a little, really? That's, that's, That's why you did it? Not because you missed me? Not because of our relationship, there's companionship, there's mutuality, there are things that for the last three or four weeks you haven't been able to talk about, and and you recognized in your absence from me that to be together with me, in the immortal words of, was it uh, Tom Cruise and to Renee Zellweger, you complete me. No? Not that? Anybody ever tried that? Does it work? Just curious, that's just a movie thing. Yeah. Obviously, in that relationship, we understand 
that it's not just about following the rules, like there's a book that says you have to do A, B, C, and D. It's about the mutuality. It's about the intimacy between the two people that manifests itself in how you relate to each other. Interestingly enough, marriage in Scripture is one of the key ways, one of the key symbols of the relationship between Christ and his church. Because it's one we can relate to and one many of us have experienced or are experiencing and we understand, we can learn from that. It's not the perfect example. Anything human is finite, anything of God is infinite. So by any stretch, it's an incomplete, but it gives us a sense of what it means to be in relationship with God. There's, there's this verse that says, what, pray without ceasing. And we say, yes, I always try to keep God on my mind. You may say you should be married without ceasing, right? You kind of know no matter where you are, you still have a husband or wife. And sometimes you remember them and think about them or they text you and remind you of them, amen? Yeah. But even in that, even though that's the reality, you probably, and if you don't, you should, find not just this general sense of being aware of your marriage, but a very particular focused time of being together. I don't know, for instance, like you did on Tuesday night, maybe. You didn't on Tuesday night? That was Valentine's Day. How quickly they forget. Date night. Is that better? That's generic enough. You find time when you do things. That your attention is primarily and particularly... You complete me, exactly. Uh, I have lost this crowd once again. Yeah, yeah. I lost you before I got started. But nonetheless. Last thought, because it's 10.05 and I should have stopped five minutes ago. Some of you have done a Henry Blackaby study, Experiencing God. One of the, the things he says in there is we live in a culture because of the fast-paced nature that this is the motto. Don't just stand there, do something. And he makes the point, and I'm not quoting exactly, but he uses this phrase. Sometimes God says to us, don't just do something, stand there. And Jesus had plenty to do but in that moment, it was more important to stand there. To be still, as we looked at last week, and know that he is God. I know that your life runs at a fast pace. Probably varying degrees of speed in this room, but for most of us, at times, we can feel overwhelmed whether full-time job still or retired, whether student or even sometimes I think our kids are with school are overwhelmed. Here's the, uh, the sermon in a sentence. If Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the second person of the Trinity, the Word that became flesh, God incarnate, needed to pause and get away, to spend time with the Father, how much more do you and I need to do that too?
you join me as we pray together? Great God, I thank you for the privilege we can have of knowing you. That because of what you have done in history through Jesus, because of the cross and the resurrection, that you have made it possible for us to be in relationship with you, to be adopted as your children, to call you our Abba, Father. It's a great privilege to know that. And and Lord, we are humbled by the fact that you would do for us what we were powerless to do for ourselves to make that possible. Lord, we confess today that sometimes we can reduce that relationship with the God of the universe to do's and don'ts or to a series of rituals or services that we think are required of us and miss out on the greater thing. That this is eternal life. That we may know you, the only true God, and your Son, whom you have sent. And not just know about you, not just know Bible stories and Bible verses and things of that nature, but know you. As we often say, it's not a religion, Christianity, but it's a relationship. Father, may we be convicted where we don't prioritize what it means to be in relationship with the eternal God. May we be reminded today, as I have been, of our need for you. That time spent with you is never wasted time. Is never keeping us from productivity or the task that are demanding our attention, but rather preparing us to go into whatever you have for us. Emboldened and empowered and ready. So Lord, may we be people who spend time with you. May we be people who get alone with you, who find that solitary place, even in the midst of the demands on our life, so that we might be still and know that you are God. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.